As I begin the sermon today, I'd like you to meditate on the words from Acts chapter 2 and the words of the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. The end of today's reading from Acts, this is what is written. Peter says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. Have you ever become so familiar with a story that you know the ending? You know exactly what's going to happen from the moment you hear the first line. Maybe it's one of those stories you read again and again as a child or read to your child again and again as a parent. Maybe it's a story like The Three Little Pigs. You know exactly what's going to happen. You know that by the end, the wolf is going to come to that last house and he's going to huff and he's going to puff. But that house isn't going to blow down. That brick house is going to stand and he's going to sulk off hungry, his stomach empty and rumbling. Or maybe, maybe it's one of those Christmas stories. Like how the Grinch stole Christmas. And from the moment you hear the, the song, Yahoo Dore, Yahoo Dore. I know it's not as good as my wife, but I, I do the best I can. But from the moment you hear those words, you know that at the end, the Grinch's heart is going to go grow three sizes that day. And he's going to find the strength of, of ten Grinches. Lift that sleigh back up from the brink and slide down the hill just in time to carve the roast beast with Cindy Lou Who. You know it's all going to turn out well. Or maybe maybe it's one of your favorite movies, and you know every line. Maybe it's something like Star Wars, and from the the moment those those opening scene descriptions start rolling, you know exactly what's going to come at every scene. You can recite the lines. You're so familiar with the story. But the truth is, we can become the same way with the true stories that happen in our day-to-day lives. It's not just the fictional stories where we seem to feel like we know the ending. You know, we hear of another shooting, another terrorist attack, another act of senseless violence, and we just shrug our shoulders. It's a broken world. Or we hear of turmoil in the Middle East, and, well, that's been going on for decades. We hear of politicians who care more about their agenda, care more about what they're doing than the people they're elected to serve, who won't work across the aisle from either side, and we just roll our eyes and go, politics as usual. Or on the positive side, you know, another child is born, and we're indifferent to it. Unless it's your your immediate family, it doesn't make any impact in your day-to-day life. Nothing changes where you walk on as if nothing has happened. You've just become numb to everything around you. You know exactly how it's going to turn out. You know the story. You know how these things go. And so you just shrug your shoulders, indifferent to all that's going on. If you've been in church for your whole life, 
and you've heard the gospel again and again, the good news can start to sound like old news. It can start to sound tired. It doesn't seem to make an impact in my day-to-day life anymore. You know, it's great. I hear of, of this man mighty in works and deeds. I hear of his, of his miracles, of his promises, of Jesus' words of wisdom. But his miracles aren't happening in my day-to-day life. His promises don't change the circumstances you find yourself in right now. His words of wisdom are great, but I'm so busy just trying to get through this next moment in the trenches of life, I don't have time for that right now. So we hear the story of of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but it doesn't actually impact us anymore. It doesn't change how we see the world or how we understand what we're going through. We've heard the story of the crucifixion so often that we're no longer surprised as the Son of God hangs like a common criminal from the cross. We've become so numb that his death in our place no longer scandalizes us. It no longer shocks us. We've just shrugged our shoulders That's exactly what happened last Good Friday, last Easter, last Ascension, last Pentecost. It's the same story I've heard year after year. In today's lesson from Acts, Peter is delivering this sermon on Pentecost that can cut through the blasé monotony of our day-to-day lives and hit you like a ton of bricks. As Peter concludes his message, he calls out, This, God, know then, Israel, that this, God has made this man, both Lord and Messiah, Lord and King, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when Peter says this you, he's not using the Texas plural all y'all. He looks out at the crowd of 3,000 plus. He looks out into the pew at you where you're sitting, and he looks at me standing up here, and he points the finger, and he says, you killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. Now, you, you might be thinking, whoa, pastor, like, I wasn't there. Didn't, wasn't Jesus killed by jealous religious leaders, by, by lawless men at, at their hands? Well, yes, you're right, but you're missing the point. See, if you think that Jesus couldn't have escaped, that Jesus was so weak that he was helpless at their hands, then you've lost sight of who Jesus really is. See, Jesus is there because of and for what we had done to restore our relationship to the Father. As the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, said, it wasn't the jealous religious leaders, it wasn't power-hungry Roman soldiers that held Jesus there until it was finished. It was my sin, my sin, that held him on the cross until it was finished so that he could bring many sons and daughters to glory so that he could restore our relationship to the Father. See, Jesus died for you and for me personally. Not in some abstract concept. He died because of our particular sins. See, how great the pain of searing loss. The Father turned his face away from his only true and beloved Son in that moment so that his face could be eternally turned toward you and toward me. So God was willing to 
turn away from Jesus in that moment on the cross to abandon him to death for a moment. But he did not abandon him to the grave because the bonds of death could not hold Jesus. They could not keep him down. He is Lord over life and death. He has conquered the grave. And so though the father turned his face away in those moments, he did not abandon him. See, and when God rose Jesus from the grave, that was vindication of his message. The resurrection says that what Jesus did, what he said, were true. That when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, God said that is true. When Jesus declared that there is no way to the Father except through him, that that is a true statement. That his death for our sins truly does pay the price so that we can be forgiven. See, the only way we can truly know the Father, that we can truly know God, is by truly knowing Jesus, by seeing him bloodied and broken, beaten, crucified, and risen for us. That's how we know God's love. That's how we know his heart for us. As we see his plan, the the plan of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity moving forward as we see this truth of what God has done for us. See, this truth is what the church has proclaimed from day one. And it's what you and I as God's baptized and redeemed children proclaim today. That it was our sin that held him there. For our shame, for our guilt, for our mistakes. And yet God was pleased to come down from heaven to dwell in our midst, in our brokenness, and to take our place so that we could be claimed as his children again. What a story we have to tell. What hope we have to give. And this wasn't unexpected. This was God's plan from the beginning. The Trinity had planned this method of salvation. We don't know why, because we don't have insight into the mind of God, but we know that this is what he has shown us, he has done, what he has proved, and what he has said to us, that I have come for you. And that's what held Jesus there until it was finished. That's what gave him the courage to endure for you. As we hear this story, as we hear these words, as we hear what Christ has done, and we complete Peter's sermon, we respond just like the people before Peter, those 3,000 plus gathered. We fall to our knees as we see God's love and ask, what then must we do to be saved? What do we need to do to make this message Not just some abstract story, but the story of our life. The story that transforms our hearts. The story that we know is is for you, for me. How do we make this story about our lives? The answer is simple. Peter gives a four-word answer. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, all of you. Come to those waters. Breathe a sigh of relief. Go ahead. Shout a hallelujah. Hallelujah. Exactly. In these waters, you have been claimed. You have been cleansed. You have been washed. You have been clothed in righteousness. You have been made new. You are a new creation. You are seen as the child of God. 
washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. See, when we come to these waters, the norm is, is to bring a child dressed in white. We do that because when we go into those waters of baptism, we're now seen as pure and holy, clothed in Christ's righteousness, made new. But something happens after that. At least it happened to me. I'm assuming it's happened to you. After I was baptized, I still sinned. I continued to fall short, to make those mistakes. See, that's why when we baptize people, we bring them, the norm anyways, is to bring them into the church community. To have them baptized in front of all the brothers and sisters of the church, or at least of, of that service. And to have sponsors who say that together we're going we're gonna to raise this child in the faith. You know, there's an old saying that it, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a church to raise a child in the faith. And after a child is baptized, they're made our brother, our sister in Christ. And we're called, not only for that child, but for one another. To encourage one another, to remind one another of those truths and those promises of baptism. And to call them to repent on a daily basis. Now, what does repent mean? Repent literally means if you're walking in one direction. To turn around and walk in the opposite direction. To do the opposite thing. It's not just feeling sorry. It's not just feeling guilty. It's about mending your behavior. It's about turning back to God. And so when we sin and we start walking away from God's promises, what we're called to do is to repent and turn back to the promises that are ours in baptism, that do not fail, that do not turn away, that do not end. But rather we turn away from their benefits when we sin. We walk away from the promise God has given us. So as Peter says, we're called to repent and be baptized We're called to repent on a daily basis and return to that promise of our baptism as those who have been claimed and made new in the love of Christ that never fails and never ceases. I want to end with an analogy. And this is paraphrasing some of Luther's words. I want you to imagine that baptism is the ship that baptism gets you a place on the ship that takes you from this life to the new creation, to the next life, to heaven. When you're baptized, your ticket on that ship is guaranteed. Your spot there cannot be taken. It cannot be given to anyone else. That promise is for you. It has been given to you. Nothing can take it away from you. So what happens? Well, sometimes we forget the promise. And we jump overboard into the ocean. Into this this place of danger. The promise isn't gone. The ship isn't sunk. God's promise still holds. The message is still true. But we've turned away from it. Well, if you've jumped overboard off the ship by your sin, by your actions, into, let's say, shark-infested ocean waters with no land in sight, and there's a fully functioning ship behind you, what's the smart thing to do? Repent. Turn back to the ship. Go back to the promise. See, that's, that's what repentance is. It's returning to that promise God has made over us in baptism. That you are given new life. That there is forgiveness of sins. That you have been claimed. That you are washed and clothed in Christ's righteousness. That nothing can take that love or that promise from you. See, as God's children, we don't boast in our intelligence, in our works, in our achievements, in our wealth or riches. No, we boast in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection for our place. 
that claims us as God's children beyond expectation, beyond our wildest dreams. It's the last thing we should have expected, and yet it is what God has shown and has done for us. And so we boast in that truth, for we know that it is by the the wounds of Christ that our debt has been paid, that our ransom has been paid in full. You have been claimed. You are loved. May that truth of what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has done for you keep your hearts and minds in faith in that triune God both now and forever. Amen.